this week we have two podcast treasures, and the latter one is actually a guest on our show, so I'll let them speak for themselves when we get there. Our other friend is the Mad Scientist Podcast, a show about the science, philosophy, and history of paranormal, pseudoscientific, and otherwise weird claims. Hosts Chris and Marie delve deep into serious and funny topics with a mix of in-depth, science-heavy episodes on a variety of topics and roundtables featuring both hosts answering listeners' questions and discussing less serious weirdness. Visit themadscientistpodcast.com and follow them at madscientistpod. Bassano, Italy, 1988. Stop me if you've heard this one before. It goes like this. An antique shop owner descends into a shadowy basement. The stairway creaks with each step as he shines his flashlight through the dust and the dark. In this version, let's say that the landlord has upped the rent, and our gentleman here needs to sell off some of his wares. There's an auction house in town currently seeking lots, and the old man sees this as a way to make a quick lira or two. In the basement, he rummages through old art deco lamps and futurist sculptures. Maybe his light glides over the faces of china dolls. This is a scary story, remember? And as he comes through the junk, cursing his fate and his landlord, he comes upon a wooden box that he cannot recall in all of his many years ever having set eyes on before. The box is nailed shut, like a coffin, like something you don't want people to open easily. Annoyed but curious, the old man manages to pry the box open with the end of a hammer. Inside is a simple, but beautifully crafted vase made out of silver. With a discerning eye, he's able to date the vase's fabrication to around the 15th century. And the old shop owner can't believe his luck. Just like that, his fortunes have reversed. Or have they? As he carefully places the box upstairs for a quick dust and polish, he notices that someone has put a rolled up piece of paper inside the vase. It's a very old and worn parchment, which no doubt excites the shop owner even further. It means he has a real antique on his hands. So he unfolds the paper, and it says, Beware, this vase brings death. A chill runs up the old man's spine, but it quickly subsides as he remembers the price tag at stake here. Superstitious nonsense, he mutters, obviously in Italian, before setting the paper aside. Within a week, the vase makes its way to the local auction house, and it's promptly sold off for 4 million lira to the owner of a pharmacy, where it sits on prominent display until the man is discovered, three months later, dead in his house. And this confuses his loved ones and associates because he was in perfect health, cause of death unknown. His family then sells off the vase to one of the pharmacist's associates, a surgeon, and a fellow man of science. Two months later, he's dead as well, and no explanation. The next owner, or should I say victim, of the vase is archaeologist and a Renaissance scholar who manages to track down some information on the vase's origins. Picture him rummaging through the archives in some old village library, smelling of wood, wine, and musty pages. He discovers that the vase was once a wedding gift for a beautiful Napolese bride from her fiancé. But apparently this bride-to-be had many jealous lovers, and she may have rebuffed the wrong suitor. Shortly before what was supposed to be a day of celebration and matrimony, the bride was found in a pool of blood, clutching the vase. Before she died, she swore an oath of revenge. And just like that, a curse was born, infecting the very artifact she held at the time of death. From that point on, anybody who held the vase met a mysterious end. Finally, a priest decided to do something about it and had the vase boxed up and buried in consecrated ground. So, how did it manage to reappear in somebody's basement hundreds of years later? Unfortunately, that answer would remain a mystery, as the archaeologist who unearths this knowledge dies from infection. And by now, the curse is known to all among the small town, Its next inheritor, upon catching wind of the vase's powers, tosses it out of the window in fright, 
only for the solid silver object to nearly collide with a police officer who happens to be walking by on patrol. The officer confronts the culprit of this expensive littering with a ticket and goes to hand the vase back over to him, but the owner refuses to take it back, begging the policeman to simply arrest him instead. Saddled with an expensive but apparently cursed object, the police officer attempts to donate vase to a local museum, but by now, everyone is keenly aware of this deadly artifact. Whether he was superstitious or not, this story ends with the vase once again being buried, this time in a lead coffin, either in a cemetery or an unknown location. And there it's said to remain, for now, anyway. The tale of the Bassano vase, as far as I can tell, originates in one unverifiable news clipping from the former Yugoslavia. Whether or not it existed, and whether or not it was really cursed, is the subject of debate. But the Bassano vase is not an isolated account. There are treasures and artifacts out there that carry equally sinister reputations. Or are they simply just ghost stories? Hey everyone, this is a very special spooky episode of Relic. Uh, Specifically, it's one of our It Belongs in a Museum episodes. So for those of you who are tuning in for the first time, this is kind of like a special roundtable series with guest hosts. So it's a bit different than the standard format. But anyway, I'm super excited and quite frankly honored to have Hillbilly Horrors podcast's own Jerry, Polly, and Tracy with me today. Guys, want to say hey? Hello. Hey. hey. <laughs> hey we, um, we said hey at the same time. It was like stereo I, hey. Seriously. You're in perfect sync. Well, I feel like Hillbilly Horrid needs no introduction, but can you tell uh, listeners what they can expect if they were to subscribe and rate your podcast five stars, which they totally should do, by the way? Completely unprofessionalism. That's what they'll expect. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we... Um, <laughs> We like to not take ourselves too serious. We like to tell you some of the best stories paranormally out there. Um, so we, we're going to tell you the things that scare you from the true mm-hmm. stories behind, uh, like the movies like The Exorcist and The Entity and uh, The Conjuring and some special guests, you know, like Andrea Perrin, who wrote The Conjuring. Uh, her family was involved in that. She's came on the show and uh, coming up in the near future next week. Matter of fact, Jack Kenna from Haunted Case Files is actually going to be on the show. And so that's what we do. We we talk a little bit about special guests. We talk a little bit to uh, um, things from like the Amityville Horror and you name it. If, if it's spooky, we try to tell you the, the as detailed a story as we can. But we'll throw some jokes and stuff along the way so we don't get too scary. Yeah, you you guys are the real deal, and like I've the the most recent episode you did on the um, the incidents that inspired Poltergeist. That, oh yes, like, I was listening to that at the gym. I had to get off like the treadmill and just kind of stand there and be like, "Oh my gosh, this is so intense. That's crazy." <laughs> so, um, but anyways, um, so this is our Halloween episode, um, and uh, today we're looking into treasures or lost treasures that you actually probably don't want to find because it turns out they may just kill you so we're going to be examining three supposedly cursed treasures and artifacts and what's interesting about all three is that we don't really know how real they are um well the third one is definitely it's probably not real but we'll just let that sizzle for now um so anyways uh we tackled two of these treasures and um, the third one we're just going to pick out a little. But uh, Jerry, what are we going to talk about first? Can you tell us a little bit about this creepy box? Well, we're going to talk about the infamous story of the Dybbuk box. This thing has been floating around the internet since 2001 when it mm-hmm. supposedly took place. Um, what this was based on was supposedly, and I keep saying supposedly because the gentleman who put this on eBay is also a writer. So you can might be able to just take this with a grain of salt that maybe he was just trying to create a buzz. And if it's what he was shooting for, he did a good job because most people know somewhat about this story. But in a nutshell, 2001, 
a man supposedly went to an estate sales of a 103-year-old woman. She had died. Uh, and as he was there and looking at the estate, he bought some stuff. One of the things he bought was a wine box and her sewing box and a couple other things. But we're going to focus on the wine box. After he purchased this, the woman's grandmother came up. She says, hey, I see you uh, You bought the Dybbuk box. And he says, what in the world is a Dybbuk box? And she says, well, let me tell you some background. She said, my, my grandmother was born in Poland. She had a family, was married, had kids. And unfortunately, she was captured by the Nazis during World War II and sent to a concentration mm. camp. Everyone in her family... Brothers, sisters, husbands, uh, children. She had several children. They all died in a concentration camp. She was the only one to survive. She escaped with some others to Spain. Mm. So when she was in Spain, she actually bought this wine cabinet. And when she moved to the U.S., the only three things she brought was the wine cabinet, the sewing box that she had, and a steamer trunk. So she always kept this wine cabinet, according to her granddaughter, under lock and key in her sewing room, and it was always kind of up out of reach from everybody. And she always hmm. told her daughter or granddaughter, do not ever open up this box. It's not to be played with. So she says, well, well what's in the box? And she said, a Dybbuk is in the box. And then she spit three times through her fingers. <laughs> I don't, you know, apparently that's some kind of a good luck thing or something. I don't know. That sounds like something they do back in the country. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the guy's like, well, what's in, you know, what's in the Dybbuk box? And she says, it's a Dybbuk. And he said, and he said, well, what exactly is a Dybbuk? And she says, I'm not exactly sure, but it's some type of an evil spirit. And my grandmother just said we were never to touch it. As a matter of fact, she would requested that this Dybbuk box be buried with her. But she was a a Jewish woman and due to uh, Orthodox Jewish laws, she could not be buried with a Dybbuk box. Plus, it probably wouldn't fit in the casket anyway. So, <laughs> I'm just speculating on that. So, he's he's feeling kind of sorry at this point. He's like, man, this this probably means something to the family. Right. So, he mm-hmm. offers to let her keep it. And she's like, no, you bought it. It's a deal. You keep it. And he, well, right, he's just assuming what trace. Right. So, but, I mean, did he offer it like, no, you can still keep the money, but just, I want you to have this back? Is that yeah, what that's exactly what he did. He, okay. he, he wanted to make oh, sure that cool. she was clear on the fact that he wasn't trying to get his money back. He right. just thought it was a nice gesture for her to keep it. And uh, she kind of started getting fairly rude, uh, basically saying, no, a deal's a deal. It's yours. We need you to take it. And. He's thinking, okay, she's she's a little upset. Obviously, her grandmother's passed away. And um, so he tries one more time, you know, and he's like, hey, would you like to open the box? And she's like, no, I was out of respect for my grandmother. I was always told not to open it. I don't care what's in it. I don't want to see it. And then she pretty much just tells him he just needs to get the stuff and she needs to leave. Move on. Yeah. Hit the bricks. <laughs> And so he was like, this is kind of odd, but, you know, once again, she's upset, so we'll chalk it up to that. So he gets this thing, and he's like, you know, I'm going to refinish this and give it to my mom for her birthday, because it's coming up. Now, he owns a little woodworking shop, wood refinishing, that type of thing. He brings this thing in, takes it down to his basement, and just shortly after, he decides he's going to go out and run some errands. He gets up and he leaves. He's not gone 30 minutes. He gets a call from his, uh, I guess, receptionist, secretary, uh, whatever people are calling it today. I don't want to be politically incorrect. But he gets a That's call. Fine. <laughs> he gets a call from, from her and she's going crazy. She's like, oh my goodness, you have got to get back here. There's glass breaking. I hear swearing and cursing. And uh, whoever it is has locked the iron gate and the emergency exits, and I can't get out. <gasps> so he rushes back. He uh, he's his phone his cell phone dies as he's trying to tell her to call nine one one, and once it dies, he's got no way of calling. So he's going like a hundred miles an hour, literally, to get back. He gets to the place. He comes in. She's in the corner of his office, just kind of crying, sobbing. He goes down to the basement area. And he notices as soon as he gets down to the basement area, this smell of cat pee. Hmm. And he's like, they, they've got no pets. They've never had a cat in there. And then he's figuring out it's dark. He can't flip the lights on. Then he sees, wow, all these lights have been busted out. 
And he notices there's only one entrance down to the basement. There's nobody down there. So he would have seen whoever it was come past him as he went down. And she would have seen who it was too. And she didn't see anybody. So he went back upstairs to ask her some questions. And she had already booked. She was like, yeah, I'm not going to be in here anymore. She was gone. And she never came back in that place. And she had worked for him for like two years. So it was kind of a, a horrible thing. So she's scared. She's gone. He finds a way to just move on from this thing. He's like, you know what? It is what it is. He don't think it has anything to do with this box. It's never even entered his mind at this point. He just thinks they had an intruder. He takes the time to start playing with this box because he's going to refinish it for his mom. You know, what do now you, do? you like put some lemon stuff. Yeah, on it or something. we're like two weeks later. So he's hoping <laughs> he, you know, he's good. He, he two weeks later, he's like, I'm gonna, um, I'm just gonna instead of refinish it because it's so beautiful, I'm gonna put some lemon oil on it and just try to. Uh, uh, liven it up a little bit, so to speak. And he notices that it's beautifully crafted in the fact that it's got this mechanism where you open one door, it's got like a gear system set up, so it opens the other door and a drawer automatically. And he thought that was cool. Well, inside of it, when he opened it up, he he found these things, like there was a 1925 wheat penny, a U.S. wheat penny, a 1928 U.S. wheat penny, a small wine glass, a rosebud, a small little granite statue that had some Hebrew letters on it. It had, there was a little bundle of blonde hair that was tied off with some string and another bundle of black and brown hair tied off with a string. That's weird. Yeah. And he thought, well, maybe the family would want this. So he put it in a box and he called them and they're like, nope, you keep it. You got the box. (laughs) You keep that too. Yeah. So that's what he did. He, He kept it. Still not thinking anything of this. He noticed that when he was rubbing rubbing it with this uh, this lemon oil, that there was an inscription on the back. It was some kind of Hebrew, and he still does not know what it is to this day. But he took a okay, picture that, of it. Okay, that, I thought that they, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I thought that the um, word that I read was inscribed on there was the word shalom, that's, which means. That's what was on the, uh, the little granite statue. There's a little granite statue oh, that was also in there. And it had uh, some letters on there, and it spelled that Shalom. Okay. So All right. That's what I was a little confused about. So wait, had he tried it? When he, you said he was going to give it to his mom for her birthday gift. Yes. Has he done that yet? Or no, no, he's not oh, done he's that yet. Oh, he's still working on it he's, then? Okay. He's not done it yet. So he gets it all cleaned up. His mom comes by. It's October 28th. And she tells him that she's going to be out of town on her birthday. She's going out with her sister uh, or his sister or something. Uh, but she's not going to be in town for her birthday, so they were going to go out to lunch. And he said, okay, cool come on down and let me show you what I'm going to give you. And she's checking the box out and she, she seems to like it. And he goes upstairs to answer a phone call. He's not up there five minutes and he starts getting uh, some people saying, Hey, you got to come quick, come quick. Something's happened to your mom. He, yeah, he goes down there and she's expressionless. She's got some tears running down her face. She's next to the box. He's trying to eat whatever he can to get her to show him some, you know, Snap out of this little trance type thing. Yeah, because she couldn't talk or anything. Yeah, right? nothing. She couldn't do anything. And it turns out she had had a stroke. Oh, no. Yeah. She goes to the hospital and he goes up there to visit her and she, you know, can barely muster any kind of energy up. And she just looks at him and barely mouths the words, no gift. And he assumes that because of what's went on, she's, he's, she's thinking he didn't give her a gift. Mm-hmm. And... So he's like, no, I got you a gift. I got you the wine box. And so she just kind of mouthed the letters, hate gift. (laughs) And he kind of laughed about it. And he's like, you know, hey, I understand. If you don't like it, just get better and I'll get you anything you want. Mm -hmm. Still, still being the idiot that he is, he's not attributed any of this to that box. So at this point in time, he decides, hey, I'll give the, the box to my sister. That should work out. <laughs> now, okay, let's just keep on re-gifting this horrible gift. Right, right. Hey, it's Satan's box, the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah. <laughs> so he gives this to his sister. She kept it for about a week. Then, after she gives it back, he gives it to his brother and sister-in-law. They kept it for three days, and they returned it. And, and when they did, the brother said that he kept smelling jasmine. And then the sister-in-law kept saying she kept smelling pee. She never smelled the jasmine. Cat pee. So then we got that recurring uh, cat pee thing going. So then after the three days when they gave it back, he gives it to his girlfriend. 
She kept it for two days and told him to sell it. So he does. He sells it to this little, little couple that came into his, his shop. Three days later, he comes into work. It's sitting in front of it with a uh, in front of the building with a little note on it that said, "You can have this back." This this thing brought darkness. Now, after seventeen or eighteen people have already given this thing back <laughs> to him, approximately, he's still not clicking that there's something wrong with this thing. So he does what all of us would do, and he took it home with him because you know that's the smart thing to do. He gets it home. He immediately starts having these bad dreams. Now, in these bad dreams, what he says happens is he starts off, he's walking like in the park or something with a friend or somebody he really trusts. Sooner or later, he ends up looking at her eyes and it just like an, an evil appears. And then that person morphs into uh, like the ugliest, most demonic looking hag he has ever seen. And I guess I'm automatically thinking Hillary Clinton. That's just my thought. Oh, dude. Stop I could it. be wrong. Oh, my I could Lord. be wrong. Well, there goes could... our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Would it have been better if I'd said Rosie O'Donnell? O'Donnell. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> she knows me too well. No. So anyways, he, he says, but in this dream after this hag appears, she beats the crap out of him. And well, it's he like, deserves it. And He's he, so dumb. And he would wake up and he would have these bruises and stuff all over him. Well, shortly... He has an adult sleepover with his sister, his brother, and sister-in-law, which I think is a little weird on its own right. That was my weirdest part of the whole story. Who has sleepovers as an adult with all your siblings? Nobody. The next morning, they're at breakfast. And the sister says she slept like crap. She had this horrible nightmare. And the funny thing was she had had the nightmare a few times before, but it's been a little bit. Well, she explains the nightmare, and it's the same nightmare that he's had with the old hag beating her up well the the his brother and sister-in-law just kind of look at each other astonished they're like that's the same dream we had last night and we had that dream before what they figured out talking to each other is they all had this dream with one thing in common it was while they had the dybbuk box at their house Hmm. so he thinks hey this ain't proof enough let me call my girlfriend (laughs) to see if she's ever had this dream and she had and he said, uh, do you remember when you had it? And she says, no, not really. And he said, was it the night before you told me to take the, the wine cabinet back? And she said, yes, that's exactly. How did you know? And he's like, I don't know. I don't know. Lucky, lucky guess. Cause I'm pretty stupid. I don't know nothing else. But that was the, that was the whole clue. So he decides that he's still going to maintain this thing. Even though now he knows that's the problem. He's still going to keep it. And the entire next week. He gets these visions of these shadow people all the time. He even says people visited his house and they could see the shadow people, which the is people scary. people that visit his yeah. house could see the shadow people? That's what he said. <laughs> that's not good. Jeez. Yeah, that's kind of crazy there. So now he decides he's going to put it in a storage. He's got like an outside storage unit that's got like an alarm and stuff mm-hmm. on it, a uh, fire alarm and all that. Mm-hmm. He puts it out there. The first night, he's he's getting ready to go to sleep, and he hears this alarm go off, smoke detectors and stuff. So he runs out there, but there's no smoke or anything. It's fine. But he has that overwhelming smell of cat pee again. He goes back into the house, and now the cat pee smell is in his house. Keep in mind, doesn't have any pets, never had any pets. This thing's just coming out of the blue. Mm-hmm. Well, he decides he's going to go back out there and get this Dybbuk box and bring it back in the house. Because, you know, that's what you do when you got this thing setting off fire alarms and everything else. You want it back in the house closer to you. So there was no fire in the, in no. the thing at all? No, nothing. Nothing. Hmm. So he's got this thing in his house, and his what he's going to do is he's going to research on the Internet what this thing possibly could be, what, is, what causes it is, whatever the deal is. As he's doing this, he falls asleep. Then he automatically goes into the same dream with this old hag beating the crap out of him. Mm-hmm. He wakes up kind of startled because he feels like that there's somebody in the room breathing on his face. He took it, you could feel the, the mm-hmm. heat from it, the air from it, and then woke up to the smell of this time, jasmine in the air. 
So you Why either, Jasmine. I don't know. It's a, you mean, either got Jasmine or you got can't pee. I guess it maybe just depended on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, quite, why is it different? That's quite the cornucopia of smells. Oh, but <laughs> seriously, I wonder why why that is. I mean, I have no, they don't smell the same. Not even yeah. a little yeah, they're, bit. They're, no, they're, they're fairly different. Yeah, I mean, seriously, I don't know why. Sometimes would be Jasmine, and then sometimes would be Pete. And he, and he also said that when he woke up after filming that, that he saw it was just in time to see a shadow figure leaving. So like that was the shadow figure was what was breathing mm-hmm. on his face. Oh dang! So he figures out actually, um, you know, and people are thinking right now, you know, well, why didn't you just destroy the thing? Mm-hmm. And he said that he didn't want to destroy it because he didn't know that if he destroyed it, he didn't know what he was dealing with. That's why he was trying to figure out on the internet. But if he destroyed it, that thing could just be stuck to him forever. Yeah. If this box mm. isn't there. And that was his main fear was since you don't know what you're dealing with, you know, he didn't want to take that chance. So he finds out by doing his research on the Internet that there's people on eBay that actually look for these things. Um, why? Haunted Seriously, objects. Yeah, why? that's, what, that's my thought process. But they actually look for these things. And he thought, well. Most of what I'm telling you right now is what he put in his eBay listing for this Dybbuk box. This whole story was in there, so whoever read the story would know exactly what they were getting into. And he basically put it on eBay and said, hey, if you're one of these people who like this kind of thing, please take this thing and do with it whatever you're going to do with it. But I'm going to trust that you'll know what to do with it because I don't. Mm-hmm. So he'd probably say... I'll give you a penny, and he go sold. Yeah, because he wouldn't. He wouldn't put it on there for hardly anything. It yeah. was just just to get rid of it, and uh, you know, that's that's kind of the story of the Dybbuk box. So what happened? Did somebody somebody did come and get it? Well, the, the long and short of it is, it's been sold a couple of times, mm-hmm. uh, and I don't remember all the details of that. But at last, I heard it was to some young collector in uh, St. Louis. I think it is. It's somewhere in Missouri. Is the best of my knowledge of where it's at right now. I'm actually, if it's okay with you, I'm going to pick up on where that box may be right now, since that's kind of like my niche is where is it? Where is it not? Um, so initially it got to a point where I think it was buried or something, or it was like hidden away or sealed. But as of March, 2017, um, it is now in the hands of, Oh, allegedly, because remember, it is a lost treasure podcast, so who knows? But it, it is believed to be in the hands of Zach Baggins of Ghost Adventures. Do you know oh, that wow. TV show? I'm, I'm vaguely familiar with it. Yeah. That. <laughs> oh, wow. Yep. So it, it's like one of those paranormal investigation shows. I believe it was on, I don't know if it was Discovery or Travel. I want to say it was Travel Channel. It is. But um, he, Zach Baggins is, yeah, thank you. Um He's opening up a museum, kind of like how uh, the Warrens, also supernatural investigators, for those who don't know, um, have a museum. He's opening up a museum, and that's, I guess, going to be one of the centerpiece items in that museum is the Dybbuk box. But, um, yeah, right? Yeah, that's uh, crazy. I mean, that'll, that'll draw a crowd. But here's the thing. How much do you guys personally, like, do you believe this tale? Like, if you had to say, in your opinion. On a scale of one to ten, I put it at a negative three. Okay. <laughs> and why? Because I've got my opinions, but I want to hear yours first. If he wasn't a writer, I would probably be a little more to believe it. Uh, but my thing is, I don't believe anybody's that stupid to take that long to well, catch on to something. Well, you just took the words right out of my mouth. Uh, I mean, how many things have to happen, even for a non-believer? How many things have to happen before you finally have a clue? And that would be my main reason. But then you couple that with the fact that he's a writer. Um, it's a good story. And I'll give it that. It's a good story. Yeah, absolutely. And it is a good story. I mean, clearly we're talking about it right now. So it's it's out there. Um, but basically, in my opinion, I did a little bit of research on the actual like entity of the Dybbuk. Um, and the whole mythology of the Dybbuk doesn't sync up with this box and the whole the idea is that a Dybbuk is basically it could be a good or a bad spirit that possesses you for basically to finish its unfinished business 
and it it it's, it's attached to people you can't really put it in an object or a box so it doesn't really pass like the actual mythology um but yeah and just like other inconsistencies i mean it's definitely a good story but um i don't necessarily believe it but um yeah who knows it's out there maybe if that museum opens up we could go see it yeah i think that museum is actually opened up it opened up in vegas i want to say about a month ago really yeah that's where that's where it's at it's in vegas and it was supposed to open up a long time ago and it's been delayed and delayed and delayed but i'm almost positive it opened up about a month ago so it's just like a museum of spooky things yep cool kind of like my apartment (laughs) um all right so that that was awesome thank you for telling that tale um i was completely engrossed so like wow um but anyways um so my treasure is i don't think it's fair to say it's a physical object it's more of a form of media um now the last episode that i did that was a roundtable episode was on lost films so this kind of falls into that category uh definitely more of the creepypasta element um my treasure artifact is a video called satan's sphinx and um it's a movie and you probably don't want to watch this movie. So the legend goes that um, Satan Sphinx is a video that uh, is making its way around the internet and like the deep dark web. So like the stuff that you have to have like special coding access stuff that's totally beyond me to get to, but it is a video and a lot of people on like Reddit and 4chan have claimed to have seen it or know about it but have never been able to produce any credible evidence like a link to the actual video. But those who have reported seeing it say that what it is, is it is a video that is the scariest video ever. It's a lot of um, imagery that's supposed to be really frightening. Um, as, as it does on the tin, it's satanic imagery. Um, no one's really clear on like a play-by-play of it. So like there's no... Um, Frame one is a devil walking down the street to, you know, go get something. Like, it's not like that. So there's nothing concrete about it. But um, it's just known that if you see it, bad things will happen. Supposedly, you'll go insane. Supposedly, you'll kill yourself. Maybe kill someone else. Just bad things. Um, It's kind of like a, yeah, it's like sort of like add your own element to the story as it goes along from what I've seen. But... Uh, apparently there is stills of it that people have managed to track down and upload so they can't actually upload the whole thing but um they'll uh have stills of it and one of the most infamous stills of it looks like two full-grown men dressed in and it's kind of like a 1940s 1930s black and white photo so it's like two full-grown men dressed in what i would describe as very crude um krampus masks are you familiar with the the boogeyman of krampus he's like the anti-santa claus absolutely you guys know yeah so it looks kind of like that so like goaty is the way i would describe it and they're clutching a very frightening looking child um and this photo itself is known as danny boy and they say it's a still from this and the whole idea is that um that child in like the next frame or is like sacrificed to the devil oh gosh um yeah right so the idea is that um you know people would like link to this supposedly to find it but when people would click on the link it would just go to like a 404 not found page or it wouldn't download or something so the i so the explanation for that was oh the government knows about this video and when they when they flag the video they take it down right away so no one can watch it because it's gonna like destroy reality or something (laughs) Uh, i know it's absurd Um, but then there are people who have like had email exchanges who are looking for it, who have allegedly seen it. And the whole spooky, um, warning is, um, if you're meant to see it, you will see it, you know, dun, 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 very horror movie. (laughs) But, um, some of the explanations that are real, more realistic is that, um, it could be a snuff film. 
uh, allegedly originating from Italy that's distributed by an underground network accessed by the deep web, so like Tor or whatever. Uh, this was brought up in a uh, Yahoo Answers post, so we all know how reliable those are. Um, I, I don't necessarily support that theory because and i won't really go into this like really morbid subject but there is no real proof of snuff films actually existing because that sort of thing would be very hard to distribute without getting caught uh you can't just murder someone on video put it up on and like sell it and not expect someone to find it it's just not realistic in this day and age someone will eventually find that video there are plenty of people on reddit who are into unsolved mysteries who will find that there are plenty of terrible videos out there of like isis killings and things like that that i do not recommend looking at so yeah if you want to go looking for a video of someone dying be my guest i don't recommend it but you can find that but um it's not going to kill you it just might leave you with psychological scars um one of the other uh things that i hear about and or, or looked up in my research is that the video was created by the government to uh, torture captured terrorists, specifically uh, in Abu Ghraib. Um, and I don't think that story checks out either because, for one, uh, it, you know, I won't really get into the, po the politics of it. Um, you know, terrible thing, you know, terrible things happened. There was a lot of like illegal torture that happened. Um, and I'm sure it still goes on to this day. But here's the thing. What would scare someone who would be afraid by the devil, which is specifically comes from Christianity, is probably not going to be the same thing that would scare someone who, you know, might be an Islamic extremist. So I doubt that that's the case there. Still wouldn't want to see the video. Um, there is... Uh, allegedly another video that exists that might be the Satan Sphinx, but I think is just kind of a variant of the creepypasta. It's called the Grifter, and it's supposedly something, you know, a lot of disturbing footage. Um, but, you know, I, and that video does exist. You can find it. I haven't looked at it because I'm kind of a wuss, to be honest. I love unsolved mysteries and I love spooky things, but I don't like subjecting myself to them. So um, it does exist. From what I gather and hear, though, it's just it sounds like someone's art project. In fact, I think it might just be a reaction to uh, Satan Sphinx. It might be someone trying to actually create their own version of that. And I'll go into that later because... I kind of have an overarching theory about all of these stories that ties into that. But um, it's out there. You can find it if you go looking for it. I Again, I don't necessarily recommend it. It allegedly depicts human sacrifice, but I think it's all CGI and faked. Um, let's see. There are films out there like Satan Sphinx, allegedly. There is. Um, there was recently a film you know, a mockumentary like the Blair Witch Project called Fury of the Demon that came out last year that was really cool. And the whole idea of that f film is that um, George Millier, who I actually mentioned on the Lost Films episode, uh, he was kind of the pioneer of cinema. He was French. There's the, the backstory of this is that he had a protege who was really into the occult, who created a film that allegedly when it was screened would cause the audience to go into a frenzy and attack each other and riot and so it would disappear and then it would resurface every couple of years someone would show it in like a private screening and have the same effect so the idea was that it was cursed um not to spoil this movie because it sounds really cool but um fury of the demon doesn't exist from my research it's just a documentary that's really cleverly edited together um there are other films out there that kind of do uh, have sort of red flagged as being films that either show genuine horror or are cursed. Um, there's the Japanese horror movie Guinea Pig, which kind of sparked an internet urban legend when uh, Charlie Sheen viewed it at like a private Hollywood party and thought it was a real snuff film from Japan. <laughs> um, the reality was that this film predates the found footage horror friend, um, phenomenon. So people, 
so people I I imagine before the Blair Witch or whatever seeing something like that would probably think it's real. It's not. Um, even before that, we had films like Cannibal Holocaust, which um, people were convinced were real so much so that the Italian government, it was an Italian film, thought it was real and was going to actually charge the director with reckless endangerment and murder of the cast. Um, and the director had sworn his actors to secrecy to help kind of create this air of authenticity around the film. So eventually he was pressured and he had he was forced to bring the actors out on a talk show to prove that they were still alive. Um, another film that kind of, again, is real, that does sort of might have inspired this legend is um, the band Nine Inch Nails did a video album, kind of like how Beyonce did her album, but certainly not the same content. Um, and this was it was called Broken. And it was banned. It was in the 90s. It, it can be found online. Um, the, some vi music videos from it have been shown on MTV. Um, it's never been officially released, but it just had a lot of graphic, disturbing imagery. Um, so they could never really kind of release it. But it's become kind of this notorious shared file back like in the Napster days. Like that's when it would make its way around the web. Um and part of the reason why it's so disturbing is that it, there's a scene that involves a performance artist who uh, undergoes actual torture. Oh, um, and Yeah, and I've actually seen that music video. It's not too bad. It's basically that he's, like, strapped into this machine that, like, pinches him and, like, it, nothing like permanent damage. But it's, it's pretty disturbing. But um, it's not cursed. Uh, it's there's nothing enchanted about it unless you count uh, Trent Reznor as a magician of dark wonder, which I certainly do. But no, nope. <laughs> um, but yeah. So my conclusions on this one are that it's just a creepy pasta. Uh, all my research shows that the mentions of the video start uh, end of the Grifter actually, which is kind of the sister video to Satan Sphinx. All this originates around 2009 on 4chan and Reddit, which I consider 2009 to be kind of the ground zero of creepypasta. That's kind of when you see like this, it's around the time Slenderman comes out. Um, I think it's just a kind of typical, uh, has anyone heard of this creepy thing on the internet story? Um, and uh, the grifter may have played on this. Uh, that film allegedly originates from the 1930s, but if you just look at the stills, you can tell it's way too modern. Um, as for that still photo, the Danny boy, the creepy Krampus one, I literally think that's just a photo of a Krampus celebration from that part of the world from the 1940s. And if you look at black and white photos before the 1950s, everyone looks creepy. Nobody <laughs> smiles. Like, I mean, come on. Yeah, everything is terrifying just before that period because no one smiles and, like, everything is just kind of uncanny. Like, if you look at the Halloween photos, even the early Disneyland photos from, like, opening day, all of those costumes look terrifying because they're super janky. It's just like, oh, let's cut out some holes in a paper sack and put <laughs> it on our head and stitch a mouth over it and call it a day. No, that's the stuff of nightmares. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah. Yeah, right? But uh, no, I don't think any of that is, is real. Uh, I think, um, and my th my whole theory about this end to the Dybbuk box, by extension, is that I think these stories sound start out as stories, but then people become, because there is a Dybbuk box, like there is a physical artifact, um, and there are like videos that people make. I think people get inspired from these tales and these stories, and people have a lot of time on their hands. And people are also really creative and they create these, they basically, they create the real product from the story. So it's like a chicken or an egg situation. You know, we create the horror, the physical thing from the story, but it's, it's, you know, the story comes first. So it's like, yeah, you could say it's real on technicality, but like, does it have like the properties that it allegedly is supposed to possess? No. Um, but it's interesting. It definitely says a lot about like the human psyche and the fact that we really love, 
I think people like to make things authentic, especially in this day and age where there's like, you know, all these sorts of debates about authenticity and factuality. I think it's, you know, people taking art to the next level or taking the, you know, the ghost story or the campfire story to the next level, which um, I guess this all brings me to the third object, which we can just kind of play about. But uh, do you guys know about the Necronomicon? No, that's a new one on me. I, I, okay. I will say this, though. When you were describing okay, Satan Sphinx, all I could think about it was that really didn't scare me because it seemed like home movies from any <laughs> special event that my family ever had. <laughs> uh, Tracy, can you attest to this? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, you know, it's so funny that you were talking about... Um, you know, how back in the old days, and it's because we were just talking about that yesterday. We were looking at watching something on Amazon, and I'm like, people don't smile. They just, they don't. They just look like they're sad or or there's no sense of expression or anything. So I just don't understand why it was like that back in the day. Um, but, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. But yeah. those those bags over your head with the eyeballs, yeah, no, mm-mm. <laughs> I don't I don't dig that at all. And I don't I don't know if you know this or not, but did you know that Trent Reznor is doing the new um Halloween theme song for the new uh, Halloween that's coming out next year? No, but I'm so into it's it. All, I'm so here for it. It's already on YouTube. Look look oh. look up Trent Trent Reznor's mm-hmm. Halloween. It's about 7 minutes long and it's phenomenal. I love 9 inch nails, so I'm going to look into that. Um you know, Tracy, the one thing I would say, though, about photography and how no one smiles mm-hmm. is that I just remember that back in the early day, photography wasn't like you point and click and it's done and it's done. You actually had exposure time. So to take a photo or a portrait, it would probably take about 10 minutes and no one really wants to smile that long. So in a way, I could kind of give a benefit of a doubt to the people from back then. But it still doesn't change the fact that it's creepy. Well, yeah. I guess I didn't even think about that. Do those cameras really do that poofy thing? You know, like they take the picture and the flash yeah. is like poof they or did whatever. Back then. Oh, wow. They did. And then like on the Flintstones, yeah. remember, they just had to peck out the picture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they had to chisel it back in the day. <laughs> um, but I, I, see, so, I see what you're saying, though. I mean, I wouldn't want to be sitting there having to smile and all that for that If I had to spend 10 minutes right next to my family, I wouldn't be smiling either. <laughs> nope. <laughs> He's so uh, mean. I, I know. I know. I'm right there with you. My my family is Italian, um, so whenever there's a get together, like the last thing after the end of that night is over is that I want to do is smile. Yeah, there's a lot of a, a lot of yelling and insults. So and drinking. <laughs> uh, no, just kidding. I love my family, but anyways. So the Necronomicon is a key object in H.P. Lovecraft, who's an author. He wrote the Cthulhu Mythos. Um, famous horror author. Uh, great writer, not such a great person, kind of racist, uh, very problematic, but we won't get into that. Um, I have my opinions. People can ask me on Twitter. I'm totally cool to, to do that outside this episode. But anyways, so the Necronomicon was a grimoire or a magic book that was said to be written by a, um, an Arab prophet or sorcerer, sorcerer who got, who was like mad or crazy. And it allegedly holds the power to unlock uh, interdimensional gates that keep these uh, alien beings called the Old Ones at bay. Cthulhu is one of them. Hmm. And it appears in many of his stories. It's this creepy book. Uh, and it was it's uh, in the Evil Dead, the horror movie The Evil Dead, which is fantastic. It shows up in that. Yep, awesome. Uh, it's... <sighs> Go, go see it. Anyone who hasn't seen The Evil Dead, it is such a fun... That's a good group movie to watch for like a Halloween party. You, you drink, watch Evil Dead, you'll have a great time. Are you talking about the old one or the new one? Oh, the old one. Okay, yeah. So I say the new ones, That's if it's not Bruce Campbell in it, it don't count. Exactly. Uh, totally right there with you. But anyways, uh, the Necronomicon features in a lot of H.P. Lovecraft stories and was also alluded in... Um, other works by his contemporaries there's kind of like a circle of weird fiction authors back in the day so because it showed up in all of these works you know remember this is the 1930s 40s people don't have the internet or really necessarily the research at their disposal to to necessarily deduce what's fact and what's fiction so um the fact that something 
like this was appearing in all of these shared works, many people, you know, wrote to Lovecraft and were like, is this terrifying book actually real? Which Lovecraft actually um, responded to. And um, he says in a quote um, about these terrible and forbidden books, I am forced to say that most of them are purely imaginary. There never was an Abdul al-Hazrad or Necronomicon, for I invented these names myself. Um, some of my contemporaries kind of took up the idea and I let them do it. Um, as for seriously, he goes on to say, as for seriously written books on dark, occult, or supernatural themes, in all truth, they don't amount to much. That's why it's more fun to invent mythical works like the Necronomicon. So he basically was, he's, and he, he was an atheist. He was very like, um, you know, very much of a skeptic. So he came out and said it wasn't real. That said, people believe that, also people are crazy, disclaimer, um, that the book did exist in other forms throughout history. Um, there is a book called, uh, and pardon my French, literally, Le Maget chez la Chaldines by Francois uh, Lenormand, which was written in the 18, late 1800s, and it was on magic. Um, Lovecraft maybe drew inspiration from this, but um, there's uh, things like the Egyptian Book of the Dead, which uh, were translated at the end of the 1800s, which again is around Lovecraft's period of writing, or when he was kind of coming into being. Um, and that is a book on uh, ancient Egyptian ceremonies. Uh, and uh, he takes a lot of inspiration from that because a lot of it is kind of creepy. Um, there is uh, the Voynich Manuscript, which gets a lot of play on unsolved mystery websites out there. Uh, guys, do you have an actual demon in the room with you right now? I'm hearing a lot of growling. <laughs> Ninja snoring. <laughs> I was afraid that I'd opened just by talking about this stuff. I'd opened up some sort of portal that was gonna like. Oh crap! I was a little concerned. I'm gonna have to drive down there with like a shotgun and like save you guys or something. Um, but... it. <laughs> Please tell me you got that recorded. Oh yeah. Ah, <laughs> oh, perfect. Uh, I shouldn't have said anything, and then I should have played it back and been like, guys, this is like this creepy sound I heard on this. Um, anyways, uh, so the Voynich Manuscript, uh, which there's a Thinking Sideways, another podcast I really love. There's a Thinking Sideways episode on it. It's a book from the 1400s um, that uh, has no one's been able to translate. It's in this fictional language. It has a lot of weird content to it. Pretty innocuous stuff. But um, there's some inspiration from the Necronomicon and that. But, um, you know, the whole thing is like people thought that this book was real, even though the author said it wasn't. But here's the thing. There is a somewhat lost treasure out there that does fit the bill. And that is something called the Book of Soiga, which sounds like a low-calorie yogurt. But... Um, <laughs> Uh, so the Book of Soiga is a 16th century um, tome on magic that was uh, made. No one knows who created it, but it was in the possession of John D. Do you guys happen to know who that is? No. Okay. John D. was the mystic or sorcerer in the employ of Queen Elizabeth I. And there's a lot of legend and lore about him out there. He allegedly um, contacted angels. He had these, like, took in divine inspiration. He said he could communicate with angels. He developed a language of the angels called Enochian that this book apparently um, might have something to do with. But this was this... Um, crazy book that kind of fits the bill of the necronomicon and was lost until the 90s when it was found again so that's well after lovecraft's time and people actually for many years thought that it was this creepy book that had all this power that was lost for good reason until it was found in 1992 i believe in some manuscripts uh, i'm not i wasn't able to find out if the whole shebang was found so it might still be out there it might be a lost treasure but um anyways people think that even if hp lovecraft didn't create the nomicron there are some crazy people out there who who believe that 
he was channeling some sort of dark forces to actually create something real, which kind of ties into that whole chicken and egg scenario I brought up. But people have made fake versions of it and tried to pass it off as the as the real thing. Um, but but yeah, spooky books. That's that's kind of it. That was kind of my tangent. <laughs> if you guys have any input, feel free. I was trying to think what the name of the book is, and um, it's supposed to be the book, and I and you may know this right off the bat, but it was supposedly written by a monk that had one night to write it, and it's like something like. 15, 16 inches thick, but it was supposed to be like the history of creation. And uh, the the story goes basically that he was uh, basically told that he had one night to write all of this or he was going to be put to death. And he um, pled to Satan to give him the information and the knowledge to be able to create this book. And now that book is supposedly being held like either at the Vatican or some story like that. Do you know, are you familiar with what I'm talking about? I am actually, because that is one of the books that's also apparently what inspired the Necronomicon. I believe it's called the Codex Gygus, like a giant. That's exactly it. Yeah. Yeah. And um, there's something creepy in it, though, right? Yeah. Like an actual creepy. Yep, absolutely. I can't remember what the detail of it was because, but yeah, I just, I just remember that book existed and and, uh, supposedly exists, whether it really does or not. I don't know. Um. Well, we have Wikipedia. We're doing real-time research here. I think it does. And I believe the creepy thing in the books, book and which kind of freaked people out was that there is a giant picture of the devil in it done in gold. Yep, it exists. I'm looking right at it. Um, it's, uh, it is now preserved in the National Library of Sweden and Stockholm. Um, is that- and I think it's a Bible. And I actually, and if I remember correctly, I think this, I think it is bound in human skin or something like that, and it's supposed to be his skin. Uh, the gentleman that wrote it, I can't remember. I'm, I could be confusing my stories, but I thought there was something to do with the binding of it too. That's hocus pocus. Maybe. What a horrible movie. <laughs> hey, I love that movie. <laughs> I lo- Tracy. Tracy, not to take sides, I'm right there with you. That's a classic. There, yeah, um, I'm ready for the new one to come out. So, yeah. Um, so the there have been books that have been bound in actual human skin. Um, those were the skin was usually people who were executed for being criminals. Uh, that did lend weight to the whole Necronomicon theory. The Necronomicon, according to Lovecraft, is bound in human flesh. Um, I know that's how it works in the Evil Dead. The Codex Gygus, which does have that creepy picture of the devil in it, uh, is actually bound in wood and leather. But uh, they say that they tested it, and they say that it's um, it's either donkeys or calfskin. So unfortunately not. I don't know why I'm saying unfortunately. I'm glad. It's probably a good thing it's not bound in human flesh. But, um, but yeah, it's out there. You can see it. Uh, and you know the legend is, as you said, that that the devil helped this monk finish it, and there's really no, there's nothing to kind of dispel that. It's very vague. The history just kind of says it was probably this. It was written in um, the 15th century. Uh, oh no, it was written in 1229, so even later. So yeah. Who, for all we know, it might have been the devil and this monk who did it. Mm. That sounds like a good... Uh, creepy. Yeah, it sounds is Sounds like creepy. a good TV show. The, the Devil and the Monk. The Devil and the Monk? Yeah. Could <laughs> be. Coming this fall to NBC. Oh, he's I wouldn't doubt it. down in his luck. <laughs> and he is the damned son of, of all mankind who is <laughs> trying to take people's souls. Find out what happens when these two wacky characters have to share an apartment in Manhattan. It's the devil and me. <laughs> <laughs> that's really good. That's, def- that's definitely a Spe- Fox TV show. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, all right. Well, that's really all I have for our spooky treasures um did you have anything that you guys wanted i mean this has been fun i feel like i I blinked and an hour has been up 
Um, but I also had a little tequila before we started, not going to lie. So maybe that's why, too. But um, uh, yeah, did you guys have anything you wanted to plug? Anything you wanted to to say? Like, Well, I guess uh, if you like what you heard, come check us out on Hillbilly Horror Stories. We're on every platform you can imagine. So you're obviously listening yes, to a I podcast said. now, so you know where to, how to find them. <laughs> Do a little Google search. Yeah. Yeah, you guys have an amazing podcast. I'm just absolutely thrilled to have you on. Um, you guys have a Twitter that you update a lot. Uh, and you, like you guys are taking off. Like I'm really excited for what the future brings you to because you, you guys have a podcast that I think is also just really important because the reality is we don't hear a lot of stories um, from your part of the country, um, which is unfortunate. And we don't hear a lot of voices from your part of the country and like the arts and entertainment. Um, and I'd really like to start seeing that, um, get putting that out there. So good, good on you for what you're doing. Keep doing it. Thank it's, you. It's, we really appreciate that so yeah. much. It means a lot. And I guess we never thought about that, but I, we had uh, uh, Sirius Radio reached out a while back and said they were going to start a podcast uh, platform. And they had mentioned one of the things that they were drawn to was the fact that we weren't on the East or West Coast. And I, I guess I didn't realize how dominant the East and West Coast was for, for podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. I I like I, I could go into like the more artistic like part, part. This is a conversation not for this episode, but no, I'm just really I'm really glad you guys are doing what you're doing. So uh, keep it up. But uh, to my audience, I'll probably have an outro at the end of this. But uh, happy Halloween. I guess stay safe, you know? Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, that'll wrap it up. Go subscribe to Hillbilly Horror. I command it and have a good Halloween. Signing off now. Bye.